and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. You know when you sit back, Hayden, there's not many times we get to do this for the remainder of the season. We've learned a lot this year. The people have learned a lot. And by the way, I know it's the time to advance into your playoffs for best ball. All of the mentions and suggestions and comments that we get that this show, the summer content helped you all out. I love hearing it, Hayden. I love hearing it and being tagged in all of it. What about you? We had some wins. We had some losses. It's back to figuring out what we got wrong for the next offseason. I'm like already like preparing oh, yeah. best ball 22 rankings. Like I'm already like, I don't know if I like the offseason that more than the regular season, but like I like the best ball strategy. I think out of anything, any of the content that we do is like figuring out the rankings and projecting before the season. I think that's my favorite stuff. Um, but we got we got the rest of the season to kind of figure out, and this is the show of the week. So why don't we, we do. get to it? And tomorrow, special show. Jack Settleman will be hopping on here. We're going to dive into playoff best ball. Undefeated playoff best ball is. The gauntlet is out there right now. $25 entries. No one else. I'm just making this up on the top of my head. No one else is creating a $1 million playoff best ball tournament except for underdog. So if you want a free entry into that, if you've never deposited an underdog, promo code the show, put in 25 bucks and we give you 25 bucks. That's simple. Deposit match or you can do 50 and 50, 100 and 100. Whatever you want to do. Tomorrow's show is going to be so good. Hayden has outlined a great strategy or strategies how to target certain players when we'll galaxy brain a few things. Jack will be drafting with all of you and whoever else is on the app and, and on desktop. And we'll go through a whole bunch of different ways and what we think are, are optimal avenues to potentially win a boatload of money in the gauntlet. Did I cover everything there, Hayden? That's at one o'clock tomorrow, Wednesday. Yes, correct. We could do like 10 hours straight of just strategy for it. Like that's how complicated and fun this game is. Uh, it's just the best. All right. Well, let's jump into today. Everyone knows we go through running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends on the fantasy usage model. Again, so much production from some name brand sources and other ones who came out of nowhere in week 14. And we'll dive into a bunch of the big names based on Hayden's model. But first, we start off with the running back position. And Hayden, we have to start off because Alvin Kamara, our buddy, is back 27 carries 120 yards and a score against the New York Jets another four catches for 25 yards on the ground this is almost the first time that we saw like a fully healthy Alvin Kamara with Taysom Hill in the backfield there aren't many easier opponents for him to face but again as we hit this home stretch either in your season-long leagues or best ball formats it's exactly the type of opportunity we want to see for promo code Alvin so the second most fantasy expected fantasy points of the season was last week. Obviously, no Mark Ingram helped that playing the Jets helps that all that stuff. But this narrative that Taysom Hill cannot throw a screen pass to Alvin Kamara, <laughs> if I had to guess, I think that's going to get debunked. He had uh, the five targets here, 21 or I think 24% target share last season. The last game, he had 10 targets from him. So really, I, I don't think there's going to be that much of a split 
between Kamara with a Jameis Winston type versus a Taysom Hill. This entire offense is just through him. Their wide receivers are even worse. No Deontay Harris, who was getting some of these manufactured touches. Yep. That he's out of the picture because of a DUI suspension, even more for Alvin Kamara. So um, he'll be in the top three, top five every single week. Mark Ingram was also out of this game. So that takes away, you know, the top running back insurance for this team. Nine or 10 carries from Alvin Kamara in this game that went for five plus yards. Uh, that is not something you typically see across the NFL. And again, we've talked about the Saints offensive line throughout the entire season. They're one of the best, but they were playing backups at multiple spots. Calvin Throckmorton, I believe, was one of their starting guards. Uh, they had a backup right tackle in there as well. And you see so much of these runs off of left tackle. Look, the Saints are struggling down the stretch, but that should not prevent Alvin Kamara from you know putting up the exact numbers. I just hope that all of you have done enough to make good of that, to make good of that as we go down the stretch. All right, let's jump to James Conner, Chase Edmonds, Arizona Cardinals backfield. We know that Edmonds was not activated in time for Monday Night Football against the Los Angeles Rams. So that gave us one more game at the very least of James Conner being the focal point of that backfield. 13 carries for 31 yards for two touchdowns, along with nine catches, nine catches for 94 yards. Made some unreal plays, has in the last few weeks in the passing game as well. I don't know. I don't know if we want to like close the book here on James Conner and just what he's done in this feature back workload, but let's put it in low perspective here, Hayden. He is going to have one of the highest win rates among anybody drafted outside of the top five or six rounds. He's one of the best picks in best ball this entire year. Unfortunately, this might be one of the last weeks we're able to use him for two reasons. He had an MRI. It sounds like it's a possible high ankle sprain that happened like the second last play of the game. He can barely even stand up on that last play to even get that final snap off. But before that, I mean, one handed catches running through people. He's just been way more explosive. The offensive line's better, obviously playing in a better system has really helped him out, but I'm very concerned that this high ankle sprain is going to kind of plague him down the stretch. And we'd have to assume that chase Edmonds is going to come back next week anyways, but in the games without chase Edmonds this year, he averaged 18.4 expected half PPR points. And even when chase Edmonds was, was in there, he was still a top 25 back is all the goal end work. So uh, absolute smash pick. Even if you can't start him in the fantasy playoffs, at least you're in it because of him. And it does sound like we are going to get Chase Edmonds back for week 15, that matchup against the Detroit Lions. Beautiful, beautiful stuff we potentially get there. And it, you know, I'm not saying their two are the same type of back. We haven't seen Chase Edmonds just kind of in this role by himself either. And we haven't seen him healthy on the field for a very, very long time. And we'll get to this in a moment. The Cardinals at large are dealing with quite a number of injuries to many pivotal pieces. Um, but just being able to plug Chase Edmonds back into this is is something that uh, is going to result in in production. And while Cliff Kingsbury was non-committal all week in Week 14, he certainly seemed to have like an eye on Week fi- 15 for Chase Edmonds, and they are still even more like battling for that number one overall seed in the NFC than they were beforehand. I know I'm not allowed to jump to this, but my brain also jumps to James Conner being like on a one-year deal for one and a half million dollars this year and what he does this offseason because, again, he's played such an important piece that 
inside the 10, inside the 20, and in the last few games carrying the load for that backfield that they would be unwise to lose him. But how much can you you know pay for a running back who was just on a one-year deal because you're paying for the previous production, not the future production, you know? He always, I think fantasy Twitter this offseason thought he was like 34 years old or something. He's still like relatively young. So yeah. I think I would be surprised if he left Arizona. It's like the perfect spot for him. My question to you for this next week, let's assume Connor's out, Chase is in. Can Chase coming off his ankle sprain play the same role that James Connor mm-hmm. did? So like, I, I think that if it was just, if I can have one of these backs in the full-time role, I think that James Connor is going to be more valuable because you know what you're getting as a three down player. We've never not once seen chase Edmonds in this role. So that's kind of the thing. Like I was ranking James Connor as a top five running back every week. I'm not sure if I can get that high. I think he'll be still a top 10, top 12, but it's a little bit different of like a body structure. The clip that I showed to start of making Aaron Donald miss in short, tight spaces near the goal line, that is more James Conner's game than it is Chase Edmonds' game. Now, we've also seen James Conner make some unreal one-handed catches over the last two weeks. As a pass-catching back, Chase Edmonds can get there 100% for that. Now, is he going to make, again, those same 100 catches as we've seen the last two weeks from Conner? Probably not. But do I also believe in Cliff Kingsbury? to manufacture a running game with different concepts and to make things more advantageous for Chase Edmond to succeed because that is a different way than James Conner was doing it? Yes. Like I I am on board with Cliff Kingsbury as a play designer and a game, you know, caller, as a play caller than I have been in previous years. So I don't think it's like a one for one necessarily, but yeah, the production might be might be slightly different. And they're going to need him if and we'll talk about DeAndre Hopkins in a little bit. All right. 49ers time. Jeff Wilson in neutral scripts as the lead ball carrier this past weekend against the Cincinnati Bengals, Hayden, 13 carries for 56 yards and zero targets. I believe Debo Samuel saw another six or nine snaps in the backfield as well. Had his patented run to the right for a long touchdown. Where are we at with Jeff Wilson? Because with Eli Mitchell, we had seen games kind of like this, but just 13 carries for 56 yards, again, in a neutral script. The 49ers turned to pass happy and it worked out for them. I just don't think he's good enough. I think it just comes down to that. He's just not good compared to Eli Mitchell. And that's why they use Debo Samuel as a running back. And Jeff Wilson last week had 5.6 expected half PPR points because he wasn't getting the goal line carries because Debo Samuel's an absolute savage and they passed a little bit more and they're just not going to hammer Jeff Wilson up the middle as often as they would with Eli Mitchell or Raheem Mostert because those guys have the threat to rip off a 50-yard touchdown. And I don't think Jeff Wilson does. He's just not fast enough. The too many injuries. So it's we're just waiting for Eli Mitchell to come back. We don't have any news on that. But I just don't think that the 49ers offense is going to run this exact same way with Jeff Wilson back there compared to Eli Mitchell. I also believe that Kyle Shanahan found a weakness in the Bengals and exploited it in the passing game because so much for him is tied between the running game and the passing game in terms of movement, in terms of keeping linebackers and safeties and defensive linemen honest, that utilizing this intermediate passing game between you know the defensive line and the safeties was their best avenue for success. And it might change. I mean, it can change in a week here. 
And so I'm not concerned about Eli Mitchell. In fact, I really like where he's going in playoff best ball drafts. And we'll talk much, much more about that tomorrow. But I truly feel that he also views Mitchell in a much different light than whatever other running back he has on that roster. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, I just think the tape shows that. Uh, right. One tricky thing is the 49ers, just the way that they use their running back, so they don't pass them the ball basically ever. They are so touchdown dependent and game script dependent. Uh, so you have really low floor outcomes whenever you're using a 49ers back. Now, when it's Eli Mitchell and Raheem Mostert, historically, they've been so efficient, it really hasn't mattered, but they don't really catch the ball at all. So um, Jeff Wilson, he was the last person in the fantasy usage model, RB50, over the last month. And just basically, it's just it's just not the same offense. So uh, he'd be like a boom bust RB3 if he gets another start. Yeah, I just want to point this out. Eli Mitchell is going after Tony Pollard in, uh, in playoff best ball, which... Uh, Lots of conversation tomorrow on that. Let's pick out some of our favorites. I'm excited for that one. All right. Dolphins COVID situation in their running back room. Miles Gaskin, Salvin Ahmed, and Philip Lindsay are all currently on the COVID list. This team had a bye this past week. Typically, this is not a team that we even worry ourselves about here on the Tuesday show with the running back situation. I believe Miles Gaskin has been on the list the longest. Um, this is also, though, a team that could get to nine, 10 wins this season out of nowhere. So how are you viewing this backfield? It's mainly a news-oriented segment here right now. Yeah, Gaskin, Ahmed, Philip Lindsay, all on the COVID list. Malcolm Brandt, we haven't heard his name in a couple months. He's supposed Coming to practice this week. Yep. Yeah, so we have that. Then there's Duke Johnson, who they brought up from the practice squad. They have the rookie, Jared Dokes. So there's, there's six names for you. If you're in a 15, 16-team league and you're in the playoffs and you need something like that, I guess. But we don't know who's coming off the list. I wish I had a better answer for waiver wires. Right now, if the game started today, I think it would be Duke Johnson, but we don't know about Malcolm Brown and Miles Gaston coming back. Yeah, I mean, If you want to get ahead and take a gamble on one, I, I understand it. Uh, I'm sure Miles Gaston is just already on everyone's roster. I, we opened the show by saying that Alvin Kamara, who's head and shoulders above any of these names, but had 125 yards on the ground, 25 yards in the air against the Jets. Well, that's who the Dolphins get this weekend is the New York Jets. And while the Dolphins offensive line can't push anyone around, the Jets are probably an exception. And so this is one of those situations that we would want some investment probably in this backfield. All right. A backfield that we all like, the Broncos. And they both got home. Melvin Gordon, 24 carries for 111 yards and two scores against a depleted Detroit Lions defense. Javante Williams, 15 carries for 73 yards and a score. Another catch for a touchdown. I loved what we saw from Melvin Gordon in this game. What we immediately got was Melvin Gordon starting, basically. Was Melvin Gordon carrying the load? And they could just slice open the Lions defense directly up the middle, it looked like Melvin hadn't been injured at all this season. And so coming back from this injury and seeing that from him, it gives me a lot of confidence that if he was a spot start for you because of injuries or buys previously this season as a flex play, you can use him or even possibly as a running back too. Yeah, he started. He got four of the five goal line touches, and he's still running very well. I know he picked up a little hand injury, um, but this offense is like decent, 
they're good enough, better some better better than a lot of offenses. Yep. And their defense is playing well, where they're actually being able to use both of these backs. So uh, the Denver backfield is very interesting right now. If you had to pick who are who would you rather start, Melvin Gordon or Javante Williams? I would have to say Melvin Gordon. He's starting both halves, um, and they're not taking him out out off of the goal line role. So I mean, he had. 17.9 expected half PPR points over the last month, RB8 in usage. So uh, both of them, this is like one of the rare backfields where you can kind of get away with both of them being yeah. top 24 running backs. Um, but they also have been winning a lot of ball games recently. And the second that switches, the floor is going to come out. But they're both certainly in the RB2 mix. Can you pull up the, because you've been in the lab creating new content. Can you pull up the, what should I call this? Graph? Model running back chart. Yes. The running back chart, I guess. And explain what this is because it might look like a bunch of jumbled names on the screen, but I think it does a really good job of explaining when running backs, certain players touch the ball and at what point in the game uh, we might see that from this team in the past and maybe moving forward too. All right. So I'll try this for the podcast listeners. I have minutes on the X axis and then the in-game winning percentage on the Y axis. So X is across, see, Y is vertical. Yes. So you can <laughs> like, see I'm when just the trying game, to help out the viewers out there, Hayden. That's all I'm doing. Yes. When the game starts, you can see by colors which running back got the ball in passing situations and then in running situations. And there's boxes on this chart that show you when they got a, a carry or a target inside the five-yard line. So you can kind of visualize this game, how it was playing out, when, when they were winning, when they were losing, and who gets the touches. And in, by the... Looking at this chart, it's obvious that Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams are more or less switching drives, and there's not anything too much after that. But Melvin Gordon uh, played at the end of the first half and then started in the second half after starting the game. So they're still viewing him as the 1A. Clearly, this is like basically a 50-50. But for right now, it's Melvin Gordon as a 1A. Yeah, this kind of chart probably isn't the best example with the Broncos as it is with other teams that we'll get to in terms of how the game flow dictates who was going to be in the game. In fact, there was one drive this past weekend and many drives this season where Melvin Gordon did like all the work. In fact, his first carry in this game went for 11 yards and they get to the five or the 10 yard line. And then just because Melvin is drained, that's when they put in Javante Williams, who's obviously a hammer and super explosive. In fact, I love Javante's receiving touchdown in this game. It was third and six from the 10-yard line. It basically turned like into a three-by-one, and Javante kind of leaked out to the one side with Tim Patrick, who was isolated as the X receiver. Um, no one followed Javante Williams out there, and Teddy lobs it up. Javante almost falls down once catching it, puts his hand in the dirt because you know he has got great balance. And as soon as he does that, a Lions defender flies at him and would take anyone out. He just shrugs him to the ground, carries another guy into the end zone as well. So that shows you kind of the special nature of Javante where many people would lose their balance. He's able to get up and, and turn that score. Again, I think we have to view this backfield. It's been productive all season long, but they are really leaning into it now. Like they are not throwing the football nearly as much, nearly as what their talent would dictate at the pass catching spot, like they were in the first four or five weeks of the season. And this offense now is built around blocking and these two explosive running backs and playing really good defense. And it's a really, really winning formula for them at the moment. They are the Broncos are second last in neutral pass rate over the last month. Only the Patriots 
who literally did not pass the ball uh, are lower than them. So among the offenses that are actually trying to play football and like, like fantasy football, the Broncos are passing the ball the least. They have been winning games and very easy matchups recently. So I don't think it's like exactly going to happen the rest of the year, but this team definitely knows their running backs are where it's at right now. Next two weeks for them. Since it's the Cincinnati Bengals and the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Some Amazing. fun ones for that backfield. Amazing. Uh, okay. Seattle Seahawks. Rashad Penny, back in our lives. Maybe even made good in that first-round selection they used on him. Uh, he looks like a different player in that coming out of San Diego State. Yeah, San Diego State. He was hyper-explosive, great straight-line, big playability. Uh, he's added some heft after some injuries and is now breaking some tackles in the open field. And this past weekend, it might have been one of, if not the best performance we've seen from him in the NFL, 16 carries for 137 yards and two scores against the Houston Texans. After the game, they said that he deserves a shot to start. So even if Adrian Peterson comes back, I think it's going to be Rashad Penny um, as the number one. He did only have 9.9 expected half PPR points. Um, I think that he would have had more if he wasn't breaking off more of these long runs. Yeah, But the Seahawks don't use their running backs very often. They never throw to their running backs. And this team plays so slow and has so few plays that this feels a little bit like a trap to me. But it is hard to find a starting running back on a team that's not for like the Jaguars or the Texans this late in the season. So I think that he would have to be the number one waiver wire pickup for, for most leagues. And I think that I'll be ranking him somewhere around the low RB20s this week without looking at matchups yet. Rashad Penny is one of those players for the rest of the season. They probably want to see what they have in him the rest of the way. The Seahawks somehow are still in contention for a final playoff spot. And what stood out to me at large was that this Seattle offense looked so much better this past weekend from a passing and running and blocking standpoint than it has in the previous three weeks. I want to bring up a couple plays here because in isolation, Rashad Penny made things happen on his own. And this first play shows that. I mean, it's basically three extra blockers to the right side of the formation. And the center absolutely gets stuffed directly at the last, excuse me, the right guard. And so he has to deal with contact immediately in the backfield, slows, hesitates, and then is still able to keep his feet. And there's a great crease on the left side. And so instead of falling down, boom, hits that, and then makes one person miss and takes it to the house. Now, that is one play. There are others, and this might be this one, uh, where everything is just totally wide open, untouched until really the third level. And so that what that allows Rashad Penny to do is then just make safeties and corners tackle. And every running back should, that is, you know, quality, should make and create big plays off of that. So again, in opportunities in this one segment, in this one game, where he was asked to create in his own behind the line of scrimmage, he did that. But when yards were blocked for him as well, down the field, he turned those into monster plays. And that was such a big difference and probably the disparity between the expected points and the real fantasy points at the end of the day. Yep, good point from the chat. Penny plays the Detroit Lions in Week 17. After this last game, I would have to assume Rashad Penny is going to hold on to the starting job the whole way. Alex Collins, while he has some nifty feet, he is not going to give you any of these explosive plays. Ever, yep. ever, ever. Um, 
yeah. I mean, th- there was a awesome, awesome, great runs from, I mean, look at this. This is so bad from the Texans defense, right? I mean, look at the right edge just completely, completely loses assignment and loses gap. And then again, it's just wide open spaces. Shania Twain, uh, just to get completely, completely a bunch of yards. So you didn't get that one. Was that wide open space? Nick Rudman. Nick Rudman only listens to '90s country music, and that's it. So I would have never guessed guessed that. I know. I, I got in his car in Miami, and that's what started playing. And I was like, "What world am I living in?" All right. Anyways, I think Rashad Penny can be a real asset as we go along, as long as the the Seahawks offense finishes finishes really strong. Good one, David. All right. Washington football team. So what we had seen from Washington's offense over the last few weeks, Hayden, was a unit that was creating neutral or positive game scripts. And in that phase, Antonio Gibson was getting home. It didn't matter if it was backup offensive lineman, third string offensive lineman. They were blocking extremely well. But this past weekend, when they were down by 24 points at half, Antonio Gibson only managed 10 carries for 36 yards and two catches. I know it's super simplistic to say it, but it's still for him a game script dependent offense and success. But this was the most negative outcome we could have asked for. Yeah. And then I think the the bigger issue was he missed a blitz pickup on, to be fair, on Micah Parsons, but that was just him versus Micah Parsons. And he basically O-laid him that for a sack. And then a little bit later, he had a fumble with three minutes, 37 seconds left in the third quarter. He doesn't come in and touch the ball after that play. So the game was out of hand at that point. So I don't want to put too much into this. But I think because he was a wide receiver in college, they're trying to get him up to speed at running back. He still makes a lot of mistakes. Now, he makes up for it with explosiveness, but he leads the league, or at least running backs, in fumbles lost by two. And there's a lot of the the, the passing down work that he's not been getting. So um, maybe J.D. McKissick comes back, but I think that we've probably seen the best from Antonio Gibson, especially if Taylor Heineke's uh, banged up. They're on their fourth string center. Like, I don't know. I feel like this Washington offense, especially if yeah. Terry McLaurin's out, like, how are they going to move the ball? How are they going to be in positive game scripts? Um, they, they got steamrolled this past weekend and guess who they face in week 16, the Dallas Cowboys. Once again, uh, then it's also sandwiched between week 15, the Philadelphia Eagles. And then again, week 17, the Philadelphia Eagles. Those are some really, really talented defensive lines. Nothing was good on Washington. In fact, Terry McLaurin got a zero Taylor Heineke was throwing ducks and being moved off his spot all the time, but it truly is a team right now and a a production angle from Antonio Gibson that they have to be in control. Like they have to push people off the line of scrimmage. They have to be in a position where he's able like the game script. They're able to give him carries and it certainly wasn't. And then like you mentioned, he hadn't been fumbling in that great three or four game stretch since the bye. And then the latest fumble just like destroys any confidence in them because Ron Rivera is one of those coaches is like, as soon as you make a mistake, I'm going to bench you. I'm benching you. And that's exactly what happened to him this weekend, despite no real, you know, backup of service. Yeah, definitely very worried about Washington's offense. Doesn't 
And again, this is a, a player who in these last three or four weeks, you could kind of plug and play with 19, 20, 26 touches. And that is no locked in thing as you get into your, your playoffs. Austin Eckler and the backups is what I've written down here for the Los Angeles Chargers. So Austin Eckler was 12 for 67 and a touchdown, had two more catches this past weekend, uh, did exit for a period of time with an injury. And I believe it was a re-aggravation of the same injury that hobbled him for the last couple weeks. Uh, immediately what I saw, and maybe you can pull this up on your fancy new nerdy charts, is that Justin Jackson filled in. But Joshua Kelly also had more touches than Justin Jackson at the end of the day. But part of me believes that came when the game was in hand and Justin Jackson is the one who was viewed as the running back insurance. So you are right. My nerdy charts show that Justin Jackson mixed in with Eckler in the first quarter a little bit. Uh, then Joshua Kelly came in before Eckler got hurt. He actually got a touch inside the two-minute drill. Um, but once Eckler left, it was a, a committee approach. But Justin Jackson was the one that got the inside the five carry um, after Eckler had left. And he played first. So if Eckler's out for Thursday Night Football, I think Justin Jackson is the number one. And then after that, it would be Joshua Kelly and then Larry Roundtree. But um, I think if Eckler is out, I think they're going to pass the ball, like, like ridiculous levels. Um, So I think it's going to be more Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Jared cook. But I do think that Justin Jackson would enter the startable list. um, If Austin Eckler is in fact ruled out. The Packers backfield has been a great subject, great topic on this podcast the last few weeks. You and I kind of went back and forth during the Start Sit show on Sunday morning and even just going into all these weekends trying to figure out when everyone's healthy in terms of skill position players, how are they going to divvy up the touches? Like, does it matter about opponent? Does it matter about where they are on the field? Does it matter about health? Does it matter about the time of the month of the calendar, you know? Uh, Well, what we got this past weekend was 15 carries for 71 yards for A.J. Dillon against those Chicago Bears. Five carries for 35 yards and a score for Aaron Jones. Also got another score and another 30 yards in the air. So the touchdowns, the short yardage work, the inside the 10-yard line work went to Aaron Jones, yet the volume went to A.J. Dillon. How do you want to outline this backfield for everyone? So I agree for most of it, except actually A.J. Dillon was the one that got the inside the five yard line work. Aaron Jones scored longer touchdowns. Yeah. But even before the game went away, uh, A.J. Dillon had two of the three inside the five yard line uh, touches. And then once the game was put on ice, it was all A.J. Dillon. So that combination led to Aaron Jones having only 7.2 expected half PPR points. This is kind of tough. I I don't know what to do with rankings. There's no way Aaron Jones is an RB1 for me. The, the Just the workload simply just not going to be there. So, um, yes, he's very efficient, all that stuff. I get it. I think he's going to be more of an RB2. I think you can kind of get away with A.J. Dillon as a starter, too. Yeah. But I think it's going to be a committee, and I think that's the best way for the Packers. If I was running the Packers, if I was uh, Coach LaFleur, this is exactly how I would be using him. Also think that there are like different ways for the Packers to win every single week. 
in some ways, like we talked about the Cowboys earlier this season, they can use both as a tandem. They can put the game in Aaron Rodgers' hands. I mean, in this game against the Bears, so much of it was, hey, Aaron Rodgers, you're going to make unreal throw after unreal throw to Devontae Adams, and then we're going to pick up like consistent yards here with, with A.J. Dillon. I'm not out on Aaron Jones. I would look at other possibilities if there are some just in terms of your fancy teams, I am out on him for playoff basketball. And we'll get to this again tomorrow with Aaron Jones being the number two overall running back right now for playoff basketball and Aaron Jones, excuse me, AJ Dillon being around running back 11 out there. That's wild to me. That's wild because right now, AJ Dillon to them is probably a different counterpunch to like the explosiveness that they bring in the passing game. But then Aaron Jones is always the type that when it's there inside the 10 or the 15 or the 20 has a chance because he's such a playmaker to score the touchdowns. It's, it's one, I don't think that it's as easy, like to dictate to like put parameters on each one. Is that fair? Yeah. I think it's going to come down to matchups, but right. I think both of them will play and it's not going to be Aaron Jones, 80% AJ Dillon, 20%. I think it's going to be like 60, 40. I think that's definitely fair coming up for the Packers. They get the Ravens this weekend, a Ravens defense, especially in the passing game, naming the passing game that is totally decimated. Then after that, it's the Browns and the Vikings. All right. Core Daryl Patterson, Atlanta Falcons, 16 carries for 58 yards and a score for CPAT, just two catches. This was odd usage, somewhat uncommon usage for Cordero Patterson, I thought, where so much of his game, he's the relied upon early down back. Not saying that that's weird from his skill set standpoint, but just from what we've seen as the playmaker and, and catching passes, one, he wasn't used nearly as much at wide receiver as he has in certain other weeks. But also, again, this is a player who saw eight plus defenders in the box on 87.5% of his carries this past weekend, followed fullback, fullbacks, followed tight ends followed his offensive line to pick up chunk yards in the running game. He is a traditional running back. It's as simple as that. Mike Davis is playing on like the third and longs. Mike Davis is playing in the two minute drill. Cordero Patterson's not playing out wide very often. He's just one of the most efficient running backs. And I mean, this is another version of the Cordero Patterson, but he actually had a season high in fantasy usage just last week because of how much volume he actually got. And he got two of the goal line carries as well. So um, this is just like the the next iteration of Cordell Patterson. And right now he's a top 15 running back for sure. Um, even though I've been hesitant with the efficiency stuff, like the usage now is actually going up, which is pretty crazy to see. And it makes sense because I think how the formations and the personnel groupings for the Falcons dictate how many tight boxes and heavy boxes that CPAT saw. Because if the Falcons were going to spread out and ask, you know, their five blockers to block five Carolina Panthers pass rushers, it was probably going to be failure because of how much better the pa- the Panthers, you know, pass rushers are compared to the blockers. So what they did instead was have two tight ends, including Cal Pitts, have a fullback out there, bunch everything together and try to create. Well, one, we've seen, you know, the Panthers defensive line get completely run over at times a season and have slivers of separation for CPAT to create on his own as well. We didn't see that like one huge downfield play that like changes the game and change the fancy stat line for CPAT as we have in the past. 
But this is just a crazy, crazy evolution for a guy who's been viewed as a wide receiver over and over and over again. And like you outlined, he is an eye formation running back. At least he was in week 14. Yep. He's all the way up to running back 16 in fantasy usage over the last month. And then if you like kind of like take his efficiency on the year, like that makes him like a top 10 ish running back. So yeah, he, I'm, I'm here for it. I like this usage. I like how they're handling this too. I think that Mike Davis could pass protect better. So if you're going to give Cordero Patterson a break, let Mike Davis block and then th- keep throwing pitches to Cordero Patterson, let him go. It's, it's not the same as Derrick Henry, obviously, like obviously, but you're starting to see this offense, like go like really condensed and then yeah. just throw pitches and then let him run. That's what they were kind of doing with Derrick Henry at times last year. Arthur Smith was, so it's kind of the same uh, formula where it's like, go out and just run past everybody out in open field. And it's, it's working. We have a long way to go, but very excited to go back and review a lot of what Arthur Smith did during his first season as the head coach of the Falcons. Cause I feel like he's changed his ways multiple times and to kind of pinpoint maybe the things he wants to be heading into uh, 2022, because there's some pieces, there are some pieces there. Let's go to the Los Angeles Rams backfield. We know that Daryl Henderson was out of Monday night's game. So that meant back-to-back weeks of the Sony Michelle experience. We outlined it on this very show ahead of week 14, where the Rams changed their ways. They went to a lot of heavy personnel. And even in this game, without Tyler Higbee and a few other players, they opened at times with an extra offensive lineman, two other tight ends, and... Now we have back-to-back weeks, Hayden, of kind of a new version of Sean McVay to keep the rhythm. And as we put it, this is the consistency. This is kind of the motor of what the offense can be. And then you create the explosive plays in the passing game. Yeah, I think you, you nailed it. They're taking some of the zone runs and adding a little bit more of a power element to kind of get Sony Michelle going. That's kind of what Sony Michelle is used to. And I think it was the perfect little change up for the Rams. And I think Sony Michelle is going to hold on to this job just because that wrinkle is something that Daryl Henderson, just what his skill set is, is just not the exact same. And I think that the Rams, after going for what a month straight of kind of not having things going the last two weeks out of the bye, they've been using these kind of new sets and I don't see why they're going to change it. So I think that no. if I was going to rank for playoff best ball, who would I rather have straight up? Sony Michelle or Daryl Henderson? I want Sony Michelle. And that those ADPs need to be flipped on uh, underdog fantasy, in my opinion. Yeah. So playoff basketball right now, Daryl Henderson is going as the running back six overall. Sony Michelle, you want to guess? Anyone? 16. Running back 21 in playoff basketball. The best pick in playoff basketball at the moment over on underdog. It makes sense. How we saw Matthew Stafford operate now with Odell Beckham, Van Jefferson and Cooper Cup opening things up all over the field. The explosive plays, they can easily create them in the passing game. There are a couple plays, and I want to bring one up right now, which shows me like this is not going away with, with Sony Michelle because this is such like a minor, minor thing, and a lot of people are going to roll their eyes. But here, it's a third and one. You need to convert this to turn it from a field goal into a touchdown drive. So... Sonny Michelle is one-on-one here with Marcus Golden. Gets hit in the backfield by two yards. Well, should get hit in the backfield. But instead of running into him, he evades it in tight space. And then you still have at least one defender closing in on him 
to prevent him and hitting him at the line of scrimmage to not convert this first down. And instead, Sonny Michelle is able to drive for an extra two, two yards. So like I own the stat sheet. These are not long runs. These are not Daryl Henderson, 10, 15, 20 yard chunks. But this is exactly the reason why Sean McVay, we believe, and this is just a guess, just an estimation by all of us, is pivoting over to this. Because this is the type of thing that Daryl Henderson was not doing towards the end of the year when he was banged up over the last few weeks. And instead, it's what Sonny Michelle brings to the table. Create the big plays, create the chunk gains in the passing game, and instead create the short conversions, the on-contact runs with Sonny Michelle, and that's your changeup. That's what you've done differently versus what you were doing for the first 10, 12 of weeks of the season. So Sonny Michelle, 23.1 and 15.1 expected half PPR points. Those are RB1 numbers. Daryl Henderson probably comes back this week, I would guess. I think Sony's probably going to be like a boom bust RB2 with upside while we kind of get a flavor of what they're going to go for. But I will be ranking Sony ahead of Daryl Henderson unless news changes my mind. And maybe I'm galaxy braining this way too much, but we see some teams across the league who are playing bully ball have an advantage on their opponents because, again, it's such a spread out league at the moment in terms of the bodies the the composition of the defenders because they were trying to match up with offensive pieces i'm not saying that like the rams version of bully ball can compete with the patriots style but if you put two tight ends and extra offensive linemen out there and have a guy who can create you know on contact and and have balance for that then that is so different than all the other things that the rams can bring to the table and I really truly believe that Robert Woods injury predetermined so much of this because they were able to do so many different things with him and Cooper cup acting as an extra blocker at times in their runs. And now you don't have that available to you. So watch Cooper cup in the run game. Dude is blocking his ass off. It is, yep. it is insane for a, a player on pace to break all the records is one of the better run blockers right now. It's pretty crazy. Ezekiel Elliott, Corey Clement, and even Tony Pollard, who will be returning to us in a little bit, hopefully. So, Bring up one of those fancy nerdy charts because this game against Washington, again, 24 nothing at halftime. We saw a start for Ziku Elliott, who in previous weeks had been hobbled very clearly by that knee issue. He started this game, got 12 carries for 45 yards and just one catch. My eyes told me, Hayden, that again, went up so much on the scoreboard. Mike McCarthy thought to himself, look, there's no reason to have Ezekiel Elliott out there. So we're going to rest him for the entire third quarter. Now, for everyone out there, is that going to skew you know, market share, usage charts, and percentages that you see on Twitter immediately after? 100%. I just think that they believe that the game was in their back pocket, and then when it got close in the fourth quarter, that's when they reinserted Ezekiel Elliott into the game. Yeah, I think you're outlining this perfectly. There was, like, basically in that entire third quarter – it was all Corey Clement, but then once the score got close, they brought in Zeke Elliott at the very end, and that's what this chart is showing. I think the Cowboys are trying to play it smartly, like somewhere in the middle. Yes, smartly. They need to rest him. Like I posted a clip on my Twitter, him running in a straight line right now is just like not it. Like it's he's so obviously injured, and he's only averaging ten point two half PPR points since the buy injury. Um, but they're not gonna. They're not going to take him off the field. It's just that simple. So for right now, I think that he's an RB2, a pretty low floor RB2. Um, and that's with Tony Pollard out. 
Uh, we don't know what Tony Pollard's status is going to be, but this is, it's kind of a headache because Zeke is like clearly hobbled. And I think that the tape is showing that. And I think that the usage last week kind of showed that because right when the game they thought was over, they took him out basically immediately. Yep. Cowboys head coach Mike McCarthy did speak this morning saying that he, quote, feels a lot better about Tony Pollard, who is dealing with that plantar fascia injury, his availability for week 15 against the Giants. Zeke is a touchdown dependent player at this point. Again, I wouldn't read too much into the volume droppage and actually how it was very similar to when Tony Pollard was healthy. And I don't think that's going to be necessarily the same in, in you know neutral game scripts as we just outlined. But the question begs that when Tony Pollard comes back, what's happening? You and I are both of the opinion that no matter what Zeke is starting, but you know the explosiveness, the differences in success will be different too. So, okay. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt left the game this past week against the Baltimore Ravens, hit on his left leg, I believe. It does not sound good at all for Kareem Hunt. So what happened to Nick Chubb? Just 17 carries for, for 59 yards. Hayden, in a game that they really dominated against a backup quarterback in Tyler Huntley, am I allowed to feel a little let down by what Nick Chubb did with his opportunity and the opportunity at large for the Browns in this game? You are allowed to be let down, but the good news is a little math term for you, a little regression is coming for him. He had 15.4 expected half PPR points last game. I think that he can easily come back and he had the RB1 uses that we were looking for and Kareem Hunt's certainly week to week with a high ankle sprain. Um, He was a little bit half chub, 50% of the routes, but all of the goal line work, all of that stuff was his. And I think that positive regression is coming. This is assuming that he's not going to go on the COVID list because half the roster is basically on the COVID list, including starting offensive linemen. They just had Jack Conklin out for the year. So I don't think he's going to be as efficient, but no Jarvis Landry, no Austin Hooper. The other tight ends have been on the COVID list. They're also dealing with injuries. Like he's going to get the ball 20 to 30 times this week. But the success rate is is questionable now as the chat is pointing out raven's strength is kind of their defensive front it's their run defense obviously they allow explosive plays in the passing game yards after catch in the passing game nick chubb did have one really nice run along the left tackle like along the left sideline other than that he was kind of stuffed now you bring up this weekend las vegas raiders here in week 15 you mentioned it Wyatt teller jedrick wills both on the covid reserve list that's to go along with right tackle jack conklin who's going to be out for the rest of the year. We've talked about this Browns team and how so much of their success is dependent on the running blocking and running game up front. White Teller, one of the best stars in football. Like, I don't know if they can overcome all of these offensive line issues. So I'm with you like 20, 25 carries slash touches for Nick Chubb is in the realm of possibility. But I also think within the realm of possibility is that turning into 56 yards turning into 66 yards and the Raiders defense is, you know, much different against the run than the Ravens were, but so much of this is also built on extra tight ends. And this team runs, you know, multiple tight end sets more than anyone across the league. And now they're down to like their number four on the roster too. So it's almost going to get to a point where fresh bodies off the street to play and block for the most crucial part of your offense Kevin Stefanski has his work cut out for him. 
if this wasn't such a smart front office and coaching staff, I'd have more concerns. If it's going to be 20 carries plus possibly a career high in targets because no Kareem Hunt, no Jarvis Landry, no tight ends, they're still going to pass the ball. I think there's going to be obviously some dump offs to him. I'm willing to test it. Like I'll take on the efficiency with Mr. Nick Chubb, uh, the second best running back in the league right now. Um, and figure out the rest later if I can get 20 touches, maybe five, six, seven targets. I would not be surprised if there's a career high in targets for him this week. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm just painting the picture because it's easy to paint the picture of why you should play him, of why it might fail. And I do believe maybe more than almost any team across the league, the uh, because it's not like the quarterback's going to open anything up for them, that the blockers are so, so, so important. To, to what the success and the explosive plays. I mean, that's how they create explosive plays through the running game and through Nick Chubb. Last thing, you have to have Dearness Johnson. I think he's a priority waiver pick because there's so many COVID cases in the Browns facility. The chances that Nick Chubb ends on it is a non-zero and Dearness Johnson would be a smash play. Like that. A few more here at the running back spot. God, have we already gone 50 minutes? Clyde Edwards-Elair against the Las Vegas Raiders. Complete blowout. 48 to nine victory. He only gets 10 carries, 37 yards, does get two touchdowns, three targets, five yards. What do you want to say about CEH who, again, in the last few weeks since coming back in week 11, 12 carries, 14 carries, 10 carries, those have only turned into 63, 54, and 37 yards. He is not playing to passing downs, and that is really limiting him he's had 11.1 and 10 expected half ppr points coming back from the bye but only 26 percent of the routes i do think he's running pretty well and like this touchdown that i'm showing here a really good stop and start good vision to go find the hole for a touchdown and if you re-watch like watch the center their their left guard their left tackle i mean they are really moving some bodies um and i think that this chief's run game could get pretty interesting but he's not going to be the RB one because Daryl Williams is playing the passing downs and um, Derek Gore was all garbage time. I wouldn't worry about that, but even if it's just CH and Daryl Williams, that's still enough to knock him into like the RB twos. I did not even look at the jets backfield and their production this week. I know you wanted to outline who and what and why people are producing. Uh, I don't know what you want to say about the jets backfield, but why don't you tell the people Hayden? I got some good news for you. Michael Carter might come back this week. Really? I did not even expect that. Yeah, so that's the note. Uh, Tevin Coleman, he was like an RB2-ish when he was starting last week. Ty Johnson had 10.4 expected half PPR points while they were were trailing. He did drop the ball three times. But yeah, the big big news is Michael Carter might come back from the COVID list or um, from his ankle sprain. Um, And we'll see. I don't like starting players. I don't especially like starting Jets players coming off of injury, but this might be an exception because they have nobody else to throw the ball to. Just a reminder on Michael Carter had 13 carries, 10 carries, 11, 15, 13, 16, a couple nine game targets or nine target games, 14 target games, six target games. All of those were without Zach Wilson. A lot of Mike White. Joe Flacco. So we haven't seen the pairing here for Michael Carter and, and Zach Wilson. But again, the future. Let's see what the future entails for this. The, the the Jets do have the Dolphins. Yikes with that front and that blitz against Zach Wilson. 
Then the Jaguars, the Jaguars in week 16, and then it closes with the Buccaneers and the Bills. So, uh, so maybe we're pinpointing that week 16 game here for anyone that can help you out. Yep. Make sure he's picked up in your league. Tennessee Titans. We got Jerry McNichols back. And again, I'm not going to say threw a wrench in this backfield, but we wanted some clarity on what the usage could be. The main takeaway here for the Titans, who obviously won, is that Deontay Foreman is the closest thing we have to what we can depend on with production and, and predict for production. I totally agree with you. He started the game. He's clearly the guy that's going to be there for early downs. Jerry McNichols was actually playing behind Dontrell Hilliard in the, this passing game role. He ran out the clock, but this is clearly Deontay Foreman's back. Or, uh, um, what, what word am I looking for? Uh, backfield? backfield, backfield. <laughs> and yeah, we're going to have to trust him as like a boom bust RB yeah. two, three. Yeah, that's simple. All right. We'll close this running back portfolio with a name that I was introduced to this past weekend. It's uh, it's Craig Reynolds, Craig Reynolds, who I believe had two touches for seven yards in his career prior to this weekend. When Adam Schefter went out on another fantasy football program and said, I feel as good about the opportunity that Craig Reynolds is going to get in week 14 as I did with Elijah Mitchell here in week one. Well, they gave us some production. Now the game went completely off the rails, but there's some talent there for Craig Reynolds. It's, it's fascinating Hayden, because we had seen Godwin equal bouquet. We had seen Jamar Jefferson get some run, get some carries in the past, but they just basically pivoted. They're like, nah, man, we want this player that no one's ever seen to to dominate the workload and that's what mr reynolds did well bad news for mr reynolds is um they're hopeful deandre swift is going to come back from his shoulder injury this week and if not jamal williams likely comes back off the covid list and if not then it might go back to jamar jefferson who was starting ahead of craig reynolds but he missed practice the entire week because if he was one of those players with the flu and after the game uh, Coach Dan Campbell said that the reason why Craig Reynolds started is because he was actually at practice. So Craig Reynolds, he's going to be one of the best <laughs> trivia questions of all time. Uh, but I think I think it's history for him. Sad. He actually had an awesome stiff arm on Kenny Young for like a 22-yard a gain pretty early on in this game. Not often enough we get you know a running back who wears 46, carry the load for his team. And that's what we got. That's Alfred we got. Morris, right? Yes. Bravo. Bravo. All right, that does it here for the running back spot. We'll jump on over to wide receivers in just a moment. Appreciate everyone who is here tuning in with us live or tuning in on the VOD version. I know that so many of you are still in your fantasy football leagues. We appreciate it. If we helped you out, liking and subscribing the show helps us continue on with this production. I can't wait for playoff content, best ball content, the two very much link. And again, tomorrow at 1 p.m., Jack Settlement will be on this very channel. We're going to be drafting with all of you for, I don't know, one, five, seven hours. We can go on and on and on if we want to with uh, with playoff best ball draft because it is the greatest game out there. So go and deposit and get ready for that stream. All right. Jumping over to the wide receiver position. Changes last Thursday for the Minnesota Vikings. We know that Adam Thielen, high ankle sprain, is what he told the sideline. Well, Justin Jefferson saw his normal 67 snaps. And yes, we saw KJ Osborne emerge from the slot and line up out wide, play 60 snaps. 
three for 83 in a score on nine targets. Jefferson was seven for 79 in a score on 15 targets. Neither obviously were very efficient in their opportunity, but those are two high, high numbers for two wide receivers in a run first offense. So I think everybody's starting Justin Jefferson. So I'm going to spend some time on KJ Osborne. He had 12.8 in 12 expected half PPR points in the two games without Adam Thielen. That's wide receiver three numbers right there. And I think he's going to be decently efficient because Kirk Cousins, one of the better passers um, in the league. So um, I think that he's good enough. All these like deep crossing routes off of play action, man, like these are the most efficient plays that you can possibly have over the middle off of play action down the field. If I was running a model, that would have been one of the most uh, highly um, ranked plays of the entire year was that play that went for that touchdown. It's just the perfect offense for fantasy wide receivers. You're not dealing with a third wide receiver. I think even DD Westbrook, DD Westbrook joined Alexander Madison on the, the, the COVID list. So it's Mm. just these two and it's, that's how it's going to be. And you have to be, you basically have to be starting KJ Osborne as like an upside wide receiver three. Two things. I called this offense run first, which at points of season, it has not been like they put it in the hands of Kirk cousins and he's, you know, won them or gotten close to winning many games. Uh, I want to point out this clip that we're showing again on YouTube because it is those basically two deep crossers. Well, it ends up looking like that at the beginning, but obviously Justin Jefferson is running the crossing route. And so it's the pattern that is creating the separation and it relies on a great throw because what Kirk Cousins is focusing on here is Minka Fitzpatrick in the middle of the field. And he drives, as one would, on Justin Jefferson. And so this leaves, I believe this is a cover three here because you can see the other corner on the opposite side bailing. One-on-one down the field with KG Osborne. It's a little shove that you can't see from this angle, but it's a glorious throw from Kirk Cousins. And so, you know, receivers run these routes and they create separation and they catch the ball. And we have seen two wide receivers be highly, highly productive. Top 15 numbers here. I'm not saying KJ Osborne is Adam Thielen, but I think as Hayden just outlined, top 36 option moving forward is absolutely within the realm of possibility. He hit that gritty pretty hard too in the end zone too. So that's the staple that you needed. Yeah, Yeah. right. 10,000 sub guys. Come on. (laughs) All right. Cowboys time. We talked about the running back situation. Let's talk about the wide receivers. All three went over 50 yards. We've barely seen the trio together of CeeDee Lamb, of Amari Cooper, of Michael Gallup. We can talk about those individuals if you want to, but overall, Hayden, I hate to say it, Dak just doesn't seem right. It's still an awesome offense, and I still think it's going to get right at some point. But in these last few weeks when, you know, again, there has been an opportunity for all of them to put up big numbers, it's all kind of minimized by what Dak Prescott is putting out there in the field. Yeah, I spent a lot of time looking to see if his like mechanics were weird, if he's throwing off his back foot differently. There was maybe like one or two throws, but for the most part, there were some key drops in this last game. He was under pressure a little bit. It just seems that they're kind of in a funk that's going to get worked out, especially um, now that they're getting healthier at receiver. I don't like this Tyron Smith injury at left tackle. That could be a multi-week the ankle sprain issue that we're going to have to deal with. Um, But I thought when I went back and watched this, I thought I was going to have more concerns with Dak Prescott than I did. There was a couple missed throws that he had that like, I mean, the interception was offered. The two interceptions that he had were both really bad. But a lot of the other throws, I mean, were like beautiful throws, like going through your progressions, doing all that stuff. Um, I would say the biggest thing 
this year is does he not look like a little bit slower? Like he doesn't look yeah. as dynamic as an athlete. Um, so I would say like that's like the been the number one difference, but they're using like CD Lamb in interesting ways, more bubble screens. They got CD Lamb in the backfield. Formation. Amen. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just been the the newest little wrinkles that they need to keep throwing out there. And I wouldn't be surprised if they keep passing the ball a ton um while Zeke kind of deals with uh his own issues. Yeah. These running back snaps for CD Lamb is an interesting way to, you know, get him the ball. One time they obviously pitch it to him. Another time it was a play action off of it. Anytime you can get CD Lamb the ball in interesting ways, all for that. I'm with you. I I don't want to crush Dak Prescott's performances because he's still making some unbelievable throws, but it's like the perfection that we saw, you know, in week one, week two, week three, week four, that we're not quite getting yet. Now it also helps. And we talked about this on the recap show. They can win in so many different ways still. Like at points this year, they've won with their backfield at points. They've won with Dak in the passing game. Now they're winning with the defense carrying them and creating explosive plays and putting them in, you know, great field position or just scoring points on their own. And so to me, that outlines a really, really dangerous team once we get to the uh once we get to the fancy playoffs. Or the NFL playoffs, I should say. Okay. Chargers time. One news item, Keen Allen off the COVID list. So we should get him back pretty soon. In his absence, though. We got an unreal throw to Jalen Guyton. We got Josh Palmer playing a boatload of snaps. And we saw Mike Williams dot, which had a season average of 11, drop all the way down to 2.8. So if we ever get this opportunity again, Hayden, we should see Mike Williams see more easier opportunities than those one-on-one shots on the outside down the field. Yeah, I, I agree. They needed some of those. Um, he didn't move into the slot or anything. So like mostly his role was the same, maybe a couple manufactured touches underneath more than we're used to. But uh, conversation mostly for not. I had this written down before we knew Keenan was coming off the list. Now that he's back, I think what we we know is Keenan's a wide receiver one. Mike Williams is a volatile wide receiver two. But if you remove Austin Eckler from this scenario, I mean, these two are just going to get peppered with targets. And yeah. uh, Jalen Guyton's clearly the number three when all three are healthy as the deep threat. And then Josh Palmer kind of slid into that Keenan Allen role. Yeah. There is no like one for one. Oh, Austin Eckler is gone. We can just funnel all of this over in one direction. I mean, Keenan Allen could easily get 13, 16 targets. Mike Williams can hover around anywhere from six to nine, depending on how they want to utilize him. Uh, It was just overall to me, the confidence that Justin Herbert is playing with, uh, that shows out the most like just this complete confidence in his arm to split the safeties over the middle of the field for a 65 yard bomb, unreal stuff, unreal stuff from Justin Herbert. And I want them to make noise so badly be frisky so badly when we get to the NFL playoffs, because having a quarterback like this is super, super special. Even when Lorenzo Carter is all over you after you reset and leave the pocket, this isn't a straight drop back with perfectly, blocked offensive lineman no 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 he had to move off the spot reset and fire a rocket down the middle of the field and he did it unbelievable no race on slater that matters it does off the cover of this that matters a lot because we have seen games where really the right tackle or right guard or even the left guard being out changes the scope of it for the chargers not only the running game but most importantly the passing game 
I mean, there are games when Justin Herbert deals with 16 pressures per contest and then down to six pressures. And the success is wildly different based on the two. So that does matter. That's something to monitor too. That's going to be even more Keenan Allen receptions. If, if they're getting the ball out because of their left tackle issue, like we're going to be paying attention to this receptions prop uh, in the pick and lobby. Wide receiver 19 and half point PPR for the season. His name is Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro, three straight 100-yard games. 30 receptions in his last three, 353 yards. And maybe the craziest of all, a catch rate at 91%. Look, it might not be as explosive of an offense that we've seen from the Raiders over the last few weeks. What it has showed us and outlined is that even when defenses know where the football is going to, Hunter Renfro, he's creating separation. And he's so much fun to watch in isolation. He just balling this year. And over the last month, even more so, Hunter Renfro, wide receiver 10 in usage over the last month, wide receiver 8. And this isn't half PPR. If this was a full PPR model, it would even be higher. And I think everything's just working in his favor. I don't think that Darren Waller practiced uh, today either. So it's one of these situations where they don't have anyone else to throw the ball to. Their defense isn't very good. Their offensive line is not creating enough running lanes for Josh Jacobs. So they're in negative game scripts and they can't throw the ball downfield. Like what else would, would you do if you're Derek Carr? And Derek Carr is good enough to throw him the ball very accurately over the middle. So, I mean, I don't see why this would change really. I think he's going to be like, I'm going to rank him inside the top 15 this week. Yeah. It's almost like Travis Kelsey-ish the feel he has for zone coverage yes. where stem, stem, stem run defenders off and then boom, sit soft. And then Derek Carr's timing with him is so, so, so perfect. And it's so clearly not perfect with Zay Jones or Brian Edwards. And even at times, Darren Waller, like they are so in sync here that it's all about timing. And if that's the case, you have the right to get open and against zone coverage. It doesn't matter if like the route tells you to break it off to the right I think Hunter Infro knows that, hey, if I peel back over this shoulder or make two steps in this direction that I'm not supposed to, Derek Carr knows I'm going to be right there. And so he gets me the football in this soft area. Like yards after catch, who cares? Contested catches, who cares? This is enough of the timing and how in sync you are with your quarterback. And yeah, the right to get open for Hunter Infro right now, he is, he is dominating with it. Vamp here for a little bit, Hayden, because I want to pull up what he was prior to the season on underdog in terms of wide receiver rankings. He had to be close to like wide receiver a hundred, probably close to like what uh, Adam Humphreys. I bet it was him and Adam Humphreys back in like wide receiver a hundred. Remember those conversations? Great. The answer was nobody, no Diami Brown or Adam Humphreys. But yeah, uh, Hunter Renfro last week, season high (laughs) 19.6 expected happy. It was he like the best pick of of all best ball. He he, might've been Okay. Chat, guess where Hunter Renfro went in the final week of best ball drafts this summer? Because he went at wide receiver 93. Damn. Wide receiver 93. So that's after Zach Pascal. We should, I mean, that's four spots ahead of Olamide Zacchaeus. That's 11 spots after Byron Pringle. Uh, I can keep going on and on and two spots after Demarcus Robinson, you know, nine spots after Quez Watkins. I don't know if he's going to change the discourse of the stereotype of what Hunter Renfro puts out there for fantasy football, but 
you know, Cole Beasley did it in 2020. He's doing it in 2021. These types, when you when you view like better in best ball, if you're starting and especially now Hayden, someone who's playing in, you know, two wide receiver sets as well. There is something to that. We want a starting wide receiver a lot of times. Yeah, I mean, he had the luckiest run out possible True. for Hunter Renfro to, to smash. But like when you're looking at the end of best ball drafts, it's like, who do you know is going to be a starter? Worry about them first, and then you can get into your like Demarcus Robinsons, where maybe he can get on the field enough. But like we right. knew Hunter Renfro was going to be a starter, and we knew, well, some of us did, that Derek Carr can throw the football around, um, and what do you what do you know? Derek Carr, starting wide receiver, he can be at least in the mix a little bit. Yeah, and it's easy to fall in love with rookies ahead of him too. Like Josh Palmer was going as wide receiver seventy nine, Deami Brown wide receiver eighty one, Dwayne Eskridge all the way at wide receiver ninety. To me, Hunter Renfro was a should have been an easier selection than what you know Dwayne Eskridge was possibly yeah. putting out there on the NFL field. So fun, fun player to review as we go along and like based on what they add to this offseason does that change where he goes next year too well we can see a jump in i bet he goes around wide receiver 45 next year i think that's probably the right frame for where he, where he might is probably going to go in, in in best ball drafts okay marquez vada scaling and what do you want to say about MVS? Because again, this is one of those games that we saw from the Packers against the Bears where Devontae Adams just dominated. Uh, everyone knew where the ball was going and Devontae goes out there and gets, what, over 10 catches and 150 yards and can't be stopped. So what about the secondary pieces? Because we've seen Alan Lazard have some weeks too. Yeah, I mean, MVS, talk about better in best ball, 14.1, 11.6, and 9.4 expected half PPR points. In the last three games, he's all the way up to wide receiver 12 fantasy usage, which is absolutely nuts. He has not been efficient yet over this time frame, but he is a positive regression candidate attached to an MVP candidate. And I think that if you're looking for a wide receiver three, wide receiver four, look no further. I think he's like in the perfect spot for um, a big, long touchdown eventually. Arno Mooney, we've seen him with, without Allen Robinson. Uh, have an important part of this team. I mean, this past week, though, against the Packers, when Allen Robinson did return, five targets, one reception for 19 yards. I mean, that's almost a season low. He kind of had a very similar stat line against the Cleveland Browns in week three. But uh, this was a really, really poor outing for Mooney, who just a couple weeks ago had 16 targets for five receptions, eight targets for five receptions, both over 100 yards in that game. And then these last two have been awful. Darnell Mooney is averaging eight expected half PPR points in Justin Fields games. And that was up to 11.6 with Andy Dalton. So eight expected half PPR points, like wide receiver four numbers. So I think that's where Darnell Mooney is trending, especially you'd have to assume Allen Robinson is going to get a little bit more involved uh, another weekend. So it's just tough. Just the Justin Fields stuff's just not, not good right now. Let's discuss these Bengals wide receivers. Cause again, it's another topic that we've gone over on the show. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. This was so close once again to being an even better Jamar Chase game. I know he had that fourth and five touchdown that Burrow scrambled around in the backfield and he was able to create some slivers of separation in the back of the end zone and, and, and come down with the score. There was a He failed to break a tackle in like a one-on-one spot where the wide open sideline to have a huge yards after catch game against Marcel Harris. 
and then just allowed another deep shot to fall out of his hands. So again, if regression, while it was inevitable earlier in the season, we're almost swinging back to the opposite direction here with Jamar Chase, that hopefully, hopefully he could have a monster week coming up. Yeah, he's. I think he had a pretty good week last week. He did, did not. He did. Yeah, yeah. I think. I just I think mean both like there, there were plays left on the field that could have made yeah. it even better. That earlier on in the season, that when people expect him and watch him to make, he was making back then that he's not making now. Yeah, I think he's going to be like a volatile wide receiver too, and I think T. Higgins outrank a little bit lower than Jamar Chase, but still kind of in that volatile, volatile like wide receiver two three mix, and then Tyler Boyd's like in a whole another discussion. But yeah, it's like. It's very similar bets, and I just keep wanting wanting to bet on Jamar Chase being like 10, 20% better than T. Higgins, but their usage is basically the exact same. Yeah. Like, remember against the Ravens where he broke three tackles and had a huge 78-yard play? Like, this potentially could have been that on second and five. Because here, if he breaks his tackle, this defender's looking in the opposite direction. You know, there's no one within 20 yards of him to the sideline. And then Marcel Harris just does an awesome job taking him down by the shoestring, right? So, like, that's one play. There's another one here, which, I mean, Joe Burrow was on one in terms of downfield passes in this game, despite the 49ers' defensive line being so, so good. I mean, this lofted, beautiful touch pass. And it's a tough play. I mean, he lays out for it. But, again, couldn't bring that one in, Jamar Chase. Just shout out to Nick Bosa in this game. He is 12-something sacks ahead of anyone else on that 49ers defensive line, but there were so many plays that he impacted one-on-one anytime. And some of them was hand use. Some of them was dip. Some of them was touching grass, working inside as well. And Nick Bosa just screwed up the Cincinnati offensive line. And it's exactly kind of how we started the season. I think Joe Burrow has elevated his offensive line, Zach Taylor a little bit too, in terms of pass protection, just with the play calls. But while it was like the number one question entering this season, I think it's going to be the number one question exiting it and going to the offseason, too, is how can they upgrade this offensive line? And how could they upgrade their play calling where they can just start throwing the ball and playing with more pace? I mean, this is ridiculous. You can't be this slow and this run heavy. Stop it. <laughs> Anything you want to say about Tyler Boyd or or T. Higgins? I know I kind of overran it there with, with Jamar Chase because, again, T. has three straight 100-yard games of at least 114 yards. 7-5-114 against the San Francisco 49ers, who, I mean, this team did not attack the weakest part of that defense. Again, we talked about with their isolating their cornerbacks in like the first half. In the second half, they finally did, as you wished, unloaded down the field. Tyler Boyd's averaging 6.9 expected half PPR points with T. Higgins. Not good. Not good. Debo Samuel time. This is another one. There's a lot of discourse on Twitter, and we've outlined it on the show. Regression candidate, but also model breaker, right? Someone who the opportunities keep going down and down and down for Debo, yet every single week he finds the end zone. It's odd because this isn't the exact personnel every single week that the 49ers want to trot out there. And so, Hayden, I think that combined with the injuries that Debo has sustained in the last couple weeks does play some part into him not getting targets or volume, but at the same time, he's still playing a boatload of snaps. He played something like 46 snaps this past weekend, and that equaled just one reception for 22 yards and also eight targets for 36, excuse me, eight carries for 37 yards and a rushing score. So he's the wide receiver 21 in fantasy usage over the last 
month, we obviously should expect Debo Samuel because he's so good to finish above that. But to me, there's no question. Debo Samuel, the running back, is cool. Great story. Awesome that he can do that. A, a rush is not as valuable as a target, period. Like, you want Debo Samuel playing wide receiver if you have him in fantasy. Um, I like his odds of being, like, scoring long touchdowns through the pass game more so than, like, the long touchdowns that he has in the in the ground game. So I think what you're actually rooting for is Eli Mitchell to return because yeah. when Eli's back, then Debo's not going to need these carries. Um, they're only doing this because Jeff Wilson isn't very good. So I think that you're rooting for Eli Mitchell to come back, and I think then you're going to see more targets. But right now, there's no debate. His usage is down because he's playing more running back than wide receiver. He's still going to be very good. He's still getting enough usage. Like That's wide receiver two, three usage that he you're still starting him. But for him to be like the number one, number two, number three wide receiver in fantasy, he has to be playing wide receiver. Yeah. We outlined it when we were breaking down certain segments of the best ball calendar. It was Cooper Cup and Debo Samuel on every single team. And it's great that he's like sustaining that production in some ways, but that's not going to get you, you know, 20, 25 points like you're hoping for. And again, that also doesn't mean you all are going to look in a different direction with them unless you have a crazy roster. Um, but I'm totally with you. So much of it to me is dictated by Eli Mitchell not being in there. And then when he's also in there, not being 100%. Because if Eli had both hands to his to him and like totally healthy as well, then they wouldn't have to stick Jeff Wilson in there as a lead blocker and have Debo Samuel as someone who can create on contact and then get to the edge and, and outrun everyone. Because that's probably exactly in terms of two wide receivers, George Kittle and Eli Mitchell in the backfield, which we really haven't seen for the entire season for the 49ers. That is going to be such a deadly combination when we get to the final few weeks of the regular season and hopefully in the playoffs too, because that can make noise. That can definitely make noise. I think some of these Debo splits, we're just talking about usage. Um, it's not just because he's playing more snaps at running back. He's still only playing like 10 snaps per game. Exactly. He's still running a lot of routes. I think it's like, George Kittle, ever heard of him? Like, that guy deserves some freaking targets, too. So I think, like, his return's kind of impacting it. It's like it's like a little bit of everything. So I think the best of Debo is in the past. That doesn't mean that you bench him. Nothing crazy. But I do think, like, everything is working against him now. Um, but he's still going to be, like, he's just still so good that you're still starting him. But I'd be surprised if he's, like, a top five, top ten wide receiver down the stretch. Rams wide receivers. Odell Beckham, Monday Night Football. Back seven targets, six receptions, 77 yards, and a score. What we've seen in the last two weeks for Odell Beckham two touchdowns, one against the Jaguars, goal line fade, goes up and wins big. This past weekend against the Arizona Cardinals, isolated, multiple moves near the goal line, wins small by creating separation in tight quarters. That has always been what has separated when he was the best wide receiver in the league. Odell Beckham in terms of winning big and winning small and even making someone miss after the catch. It's like 85% of what it used to be, but it's starting to become more and more and more a part, an important piece for the Rams. Not only, you know, these chunk gains between the twenties, but again, I want to note that both of the touchdowns over the last two weeks were in zone targets. And that's, you know, something drawn up for him specifically. And that's something notable moving forward because maybe Sean McVay's thought like that's a piece that we were missing in that area of the condensed field. 
for some reason, he just looks way better with Stafford than Baker. I, I don't know what it is, <laughs> but something something's up. Uh, yeah, the Rams is just the best environment for fantasy points. They are number one in fantasy usage to wide receivers per game. And it's quite frankly, not even close. And Odell is going to be out there for a bunch of the the snaps. There was a the first couple of games. He was not a full time player, um, but I think that's going to come back. And I think that um, right now he's already top 24 in the fantasy usage model. I think he's going to be a boom bust wide receiver two, wide receiver three. Same thing with Van Jefferson, because this team just locked and loaded top five neutral pass rate, top five pace. They're super aggressive whenever they're trailing. They stay aggressive when they have leads. And it's just like one of the best fantasy offenses there is. I've repeated myself a hundred times, but this is where all the explosive plays are going to come from with the Rams now. And it's so clear. I mean, when you look at it, Odell is now scaring defensive backs. This is double coverage. It's a bracket. Someone on the inside, someone over top, and just how he's running his route, veering a little bit left, and then immediately breaking off the left sideline with the perfectly thrown ball at the right time. You can't stop that because he still has that vertical stem, that ability to scare you down the field. And so we're getting all that back. We're definitely getting all that back. It's great to see. All right, DK Metcalf, Tyra Lockett. Speaking of getting it back, Russell Wilson's finger looked good. Maybe it's just the Houston Texans, but we got what we've wanted, and that's outside of structure, Russ, breaking the pocket, resetting, and launching rockets down the field. But those go to Tyler Lockett and not DK Metcalf. I'm so tilted, man. I mean, so freaking tilted. Uh, DK Metcalf, he is a wide receiver 21 in usage, or 29. Tyler Lockett, wide receiver 31 over the last month. We both know they're super efficient just for whatever reason. All that's been going to Tyler Lockett recently. Once again, DK Metcalf is one of the biggest positive regression candidates. (laughs) Ride with me, guys. Eventually, it's going to work out. I can't tell you why I went to Tyler Lockett and not DK Metcalf, but at least Russell Wilson is a starting level quarterback again, and we're getting that back, and eventually it's going to go his way. This is exactly what we had hoped for and talked about over the last few weeks where Russ looked slower. He wasn't making these types of plays. And again, it's maybe the worst team in the NFL. So maybe that's why it was easier. But just his ability to make rushers miss, reset, and then launch it down the field to Tyra Lockett. This is how it's always been. This is why the let Russ Cook movement started. And I'm glad we got it this past weekend. It's just so uncertain to know if we're going to get it. Moving forward, I will bank on it with Tyra Lockett. I know you want to bank on it with DK Metcalf because of regression. But Hayden, you have to say, like, if you are ranking these moving forward, Tyler Lockett is it. You 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 would do that? Seriously? I'm doing Tyler Lockett over DK. Really? Okay. Yeah. I can't do it. Okay. I, refu- I refuse. I refuse to do it. I'm riding, going down with the ship. Going down with the ship. Someone post the Titanic gif out there. Uh, okay, so we go from explosive players like DK Metcalf and Tyra Lockett all the way down to Amon Ra, St. Brown. So I think there are a few things here at play with why Amon Ra has seen back-to-back games of 12 targets. One against the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, there was no DeAndre Swift. And so you got Jamal Williams. And it was so clear in that game, the Detroit Lions knew that their offensive line could probably contain in some ways what the Vikings pass rushers could put out there that didn't always work. But again, Amon Ra, shorter targets, 12 receptions, excuse me, 12 targets, 10 receptions, 86 yards. And this past weekend, 
It was no Jones with once again and no Jamal Williams. And so you got the shorter passing game to ASB. Fair? I think it's definitely one of the reasons why he's playing more and he's all the way up to wide receiver 30 in the fantasy usage model. He's had 17.2 and 14 expected half PPR points. I think that he needs to be one of the um, waiver wire guys for this week. But I think it's just more than the other injuries around the team just because his own usage has changed. Oh, you can go back to this. Um, this chart is he's playing more on the outside. And there was a report on November 8th about the Lions going to him and saying, hey, we want you to play the Z position, play more outside snaps because they were losing so many players at wide receiver. And in the first 11 weeks, he's he was only averaging seven snaps out wide. In the last three games since this report came out, 15, 22, and 17 uh, snaps on the outside. And that's where his usage is going up. So he's now not a two, uh, only a three wide receiver set player. He's playing in two wide receiver sets now. And he's going to have a little bit more downfield looks. And I think that um, it's interesting because he's such a good athlete that maybe yeah. he can win on the outside a little bit. So um, I'm going to buy this, buy into this a little bit. If you're really desperate, he's on the wire. I think that he's worth the pickup. Yeah. I mean, what, eight of his 10 receptions were less than 10 yards down the field in just terms of his A dot. Yeah. I, I don't know how much I want to bank on the Lions passing game, especially against the Arizona Cardinals here in week 15, but it's weird. At different points this season, we had like a Khalif Raymond week. I'm just talking about wide receivers here. Now we've had ASB weeks over the last, you know, few games. Who knows? I just think like when you suck, like the Lions do, all of the production is so unpredictable unless you are a great pass catching back who makes people miss in the open field when they're so far off the line of scrimmage like DeAndre Swift has done all year. Because even like, it's not like TJ Hawkinson's talent has wavered, but his production has. Like when you suck and you can't create rhythm and consistency on offense, then none of your players for us to care about are going to be consistent or have rhythm too. Yep. When that, well, I don't like bad teams. It's fair. When the 18th wide receiver goes on the COVID list this week, we're going to be ranking Amon Ross St. Brown as like the wide receiver 26, though. So, right. Even two weeks ago, we were talking about like, oh, Josh Reynolds has emerged as the number one target getter on this team because of his history with Jared Goff. And it's just back and forth. Bet on the Trojans, man. When has that ever gone wrong? All right. Well, a lot if you bet on college games. Uh, Gabriel Davis, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders. So, Emmanuel Sanders is getting an MRI, I believe, on his knee. Not looking good there. We know all season long, Emmanuel Sanders has run as the team's second outside wide receiver. Um, that should now pivot over to Gabriel Davis, who in spot duty at times, especially in the red zone, has made some really big plays. So again, maybe those best ball shares when people were taking Gabriel Davis over both of these two could pay off here in the final stretch. Um, that'd be a nice little benefit for those teams, Haven. Yeah, he's up to the wide receiver 36 in the fantasy usage model over the last month. He had a season high 15.1 expected half PPR points last week. We got to remember they were in chase mode and the Bills are never in chase mode. So that's a little bit inflated, but he's going to be in three wide receiver sets um, moving forward. And we've seen how Stefan Diggs, for whatever reason, is not getting that elite elite usage. So that's a little bit of room to go to the secondary wide receivers. But I think Cole Beasley, um, depending on the matchup, I still would probably rank him ahead of Gabe Davis. 
But yeah. Gabe Davis is like certainly in our lives right now, especially if Emmanuel Sanders misses. This is such a stupid galaxy brain conversation to have an hour and 28 minutes into the show because, you know, fewer people are watching now than earlier, but I'm going to do it anyways. There are two wide receivers who kind of went that one, two turn. Obviously Steph Diggs went over Deandre Hopkins, but there's kind of a somewhat of a similar narrative between both that, you know, their opportunity has dropped this year and for different reasons a little bit, but let's outline Stefan Diggs. I mean, this past weekend, like you mentioned, they were chasing the game. He had 13 targets. I think his drop in production has been all about teams preventing big plays. Because if you remember back to his time with the Vikings or in that final with Kirk Cousins, he was the number one wide receiver in 20 plus yard targets. That wasn't necessarily the case last year when Josh Allen ascended into being one of the best passers in that area of the field, but it had something to do with it. And so now, you know, as we've outlined every single week, different coverages, preventing big plays, that impacts Stephon Dix. I think that's different for what is happening with DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray. I think Kyler is just seeing the field totally, and he's not as reliant on forcing 160 targets in one direction in what had previously been a worse offense under Cliff Kingsbury. So when that was previously the case, when they didn't know what to do, it was like, okay, let's feed this guy who was amazing and is amazing and can create yards. Now Kyler is so good at recognizing who's open and why and where that he is more willing to go to Christian Kirk or Zach Ertz or AJ Green, the outsider, dump it off to James Conner versus funding it all in one direction. Does that make sense? Yeah, there's more target competition for DeAndre Hopkins too and Kyler seeing the field better. I, I think those are all valid points. And going back into our offseason discussions about how many wide receivers are on the field, how much that matters in fantasy, I kept making DeAndre Hopkins the cover boy image on those because it matters. And um, I, I think target competition does matter. I think that's like one debate yeah. in the analytics community. A lot of people don't think it matters. It doesn't matter as much as like the if like a running back gets hurt, the running back goes into the starting lineup more more so than like the wide receiver going in there. But like who who else is throwing on the field is running routes. I think does matter. And I think DeAndre Hopkins got the worst of it. But now this week, all of a sudden we're dealing with him with his injuries. And like now we have to sort out how this is going to work. I think the winner here, if DeAndre Hopkins misses time, we don't know his injury. I mean, get ready. Say it. AJ Green winner, best ball winner. I mean, this is exactly what could happen because I don't think he's going to come off the field. I think that Christian Kirk would go to the outside Rondale Moore would play this like wide receiver backfield kind of role. And all of a sudden, AJ Green is the guy in the red zone and down the field. So I don't know. I would pick him up for sure if he's available. And he could be somebody that I'm going to be ranking like kind of aggressively if uh, DeAndre misses time. And look, nothing is changing for AJ Green in terms of he's staying on the right side. So it kind of is also dependent on which corner he's facing because the corner that faced him against the Rams, that guy's barely played in the league. I think that might've been his first game ever. And he just, you know, it was the grown man versus the young kid. But aesthetically, is it outlandish to say that AJ Green at times is moving better than DeAndre Hopkins right now too? I mean, it doesn't look like Nuke is 100% out there and wasn't 100% out there. Um, what I'm excited about is trying to figure out which players, not through injury like Calvin Ridley, but ones that we are so certain of their production in those round one, round two wide receivers, which one might change? And that's like such a big conversation to have that it's tough because we believe like that's where they're going in that range. 
that it's so bankable, but it clearly hasn't been this year for those two in comparison to what it was the year before. Obviously, Diggs and Nuke are kind of separate in their in their production, but it's, it's conversations worth having that are, are all theoretical, but it's going to happen once again because it happens every single year. Yeah, the Lord blessed us with months of off-season talk to <laughs> hammer these home. But yeah, I, all right. I'm not saying well, that. I'm saying not saying right now. I'm just saying like in general, it's they're going to be good conversations to have. Oh yeah, the, the the wide receiver stuff at the top of the draft is like super interesting. Always, there's so many dynamics at play. It's not just like how talented they are, right? Because the only reason to take them that high is because the consistency and the dependability from them. Yeah. All right, Jamison Crowder. We get a few more names here. Actually. I don't want to save this one to last. Let's talk about Rashad Bateman, okay? Because this is someone that everyone's going to get really excited about, and I understand it. He got up to 48 snaps in week 14. That's the highest of the last three games. What's crazy is we've also seen periods of the season where he played 48 snaps or 52 snaps and 56 and was such an important key cog of that team in moving the chains. Well, this past weekend, yes, a high snap number, but he really didn't play until Sammy Watkins left the field. And then with Tyler Huntley out there, you had some unreal X wide receiver stuff. He was lined up in isolation, asked to beat his man one-on-one, and he did it on multiple occasions with great throws too. We mentioned this on the recap show. This is has to be a case where Ravens are fighting for their lives, even stay in it in the AFC North. And Rashad Bateman has to be a key player in that for the rest of the way. Yeah, he, he needs to be. I don't fully trust him. He only had... 9.8 expect, expected half PPR points last week with Sammy Watkins out. I think that's the key. If Sammy Watkins is active, I don't think that you can play um, Rashad Bateman, but I think that Bateman certainly looks the part. Made a couple of ridiculous plays by the sideline. He could win on slant routes. He can win on these fades. He can kind of do it all. Um, but this offense just isn't as good. Like we were talking about it on one of the yes. preview shows that they were projected for fewer than 20 points. So I'm very curious to see if Lamar Jackson plays. I think he's dealing with a low ankle sprain this week. There's theories out there that he's not going to be able to scramble as much and that he might have to play within the pocket a little bit more. I don't really love that in general. I think that this Ravens team, I don't want to call them cooked because they they work their ass off and right. they're well-coached, great organization. I love Lamar, but I mean, everything's working against him. So the the one thing is if Sammy Watkins is out, then I have some interest. If Sammy Watkins is active, it's hard to trust him. The same person, or at least people, whenever we talk about the Ravens, they want to mention that what their record is and what they are eight and five right now. That's a full game ahead of the Browns and the Bengals. But you mix in the quarterback injury along with all the other injuries, especially in the defensive secondary that we've talked about and the offensive line, throw in that's the Packers, the Bengals, the Rams, and the Steelers for their final four games. Yes. No. That's why we they've been great all year. And when they've been good, we compliment them and they win close games. And when Lamar was playing unreal, but it's such an easy pathway to like a perfect storm of failure for the end of the season based on everything that started off the season injury front and how it's concluded right now, that that's why we're talking so negatively about them right now. I almost feel like it's an inevitability that one of the Browns or the Bengals passed them. Yeah, I think I think it's going to end up being the Browns, which yeah. is like crazy because I don't think that their team's very good. But yeah, I mean, we've earned enough Ravens credibility. I mean, we just defended John Harbaugh for his two-point conversion, and I True. was 
spending hours defending myself on in the YouTube comments over this. And then this entire offseason, we talked about how Lamar Jackson is the MVP MVP candidate. Like, right. we love the Ravens. I think that this podcast, like, we support the Ravens big time. But I mean, injuries is like a huge part of the sport, and like they're 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 getting the worst of it this year. I I did want to mention these throws from Tyler Huntley to Rashad Bateman because one again he took Greedy Williams to school. They were the same exact route. One earlier, this one was the later one. He obviously gets a step on him down the field. And it's a pretty good ball from Tyler Huntley to the outside shoulder. An earlier one, it was underthrown, and Rashad Bateman, with a little push off, was able to go up and win contested. These are the types of things they don't have another receiver like this. And while Mark Andrews low key is like the tight end one in total points or fantasy points per game and dominating this year, and none of us are really talking about it because it's so, you know, copy paste every single week. This is the type of stuff that like Marquise Brown doesn't bring you and like why we thought that he could be a key figure and why maybe this is a nice little narrative to paint him heading into the 2022 season too. Okay. I know you went on too long there. Two more names. I guess we'll start with Jameson Crowder. You wanted to talk about this one. Elijah Moore out. Corey Davis out. Zach Wilson has, and his play, has even eliminated like the consistency or the dependability of what Jameson Crowder brings to the table. Crowder's out there. That's all I can say. <laughs> okay. He's out there. Then Jerry Judy. We'll go over to him. Jerry Judy's also out there. Um, barely. Barely. This team, again, we outlined it with the backfield. They are run first and defense first and blocking first at the moment. And so in the current state of that, Jerry Judy just is not going to touch the production that he had earlier in the season. And the same thing can be said for Cortland Sutton as well. Jerry Judy is the wide receiver 69 in fantasy usage over the last month. Cortland Sutton did not crack the top 79. That was my cutoff. Um, averaging less than four expected half PPR points over that stretch. Uh, the one thing, Tim Patrick's kind of banged up. We got to watch his status. That could potentially bring Jerry Judy back into the mix. But like right now, I don't know. They're just, something's up. Like, they don't throw the ball to their wide receivers. They don't throw the ball to, to Noah Fant, speaking of the tight ends. Like, I don't, if you drafted a Broncos uh, pass catcher, you've been eliminated. Sorry. <laughs> it's true. We spent off-season conversations debating Courtland Sutton versus Jerry Judy, and here we are in week 14, and none of it matters. Imagine that. Imagine having off-season content that 15 weeks later, meaningless. Never. That's what we Never signed up for. <laughs> Uh, this is a great show. Thanks everyone for tuning in again, as always with the tight ends, Hayden's going to put the link for the column. It's always in the comments and the information down below, but he's going to put it in the comment section as well. So do that. Go and check out the tight ends. If you care about this. All right. Thanks for being here. Ming Han slim one rock. All of our buddies. We'll be back here tomorrow. One o'clock Eastern. You will not want to miss this best ball playoffs show. It's the best game. I know so many of you want to wait until week 18 is concluded and have all the information, but we will outline reasons and why it might be advantageous to draft now and start filling up those teams and save some for later too. So we'll do that tomorrow. Do a few drafts here with Jack Sediment on this very stream. All right. For Hayden, I am Josh. Thanks for being here. Up the bell, everyone. Talk to y'all soon. See ya.